Hey, podcast friends. Thanks for tuning in to MakerCast, a podcast about the inner work of creatives from all walks in all places. Morgan James Smith here, host and producer, and this is episode 32. staring at a photograph of a four, four and a half, five foot tall metal sculpture. And the sculpture is twofold. The first element is this beautiful tree trunk and it's textured and multi-dimensional and has a branch coming out the side of it and wrapped around, coiled around this extending branch is a snake. And as I zoom in on this photograph, I see that in the snake's head, in its mouth, are dollar bills. And as I zoom in even closer, and I look at the scales of the snake, each scale is made of a penny. The artist behind this work's name is Jerry Nelson. And I reached out to him at his home in Clear Lake, Iowa, to talk to him about his sculpture of the snake wrapped around the stump, coiled, made of money. We started off our conversation with just me asking him to detail his process of first the conception of the idea and how it came to become this incredibly powerful statement piece. And from there, we just enjoyed delving into topics of all kinds. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Jerry and I hope that you do as well. Without further ado, here it is. It really solidified for me the whole, that whole artistic process that happens. Um, Because it really, you know, it was a a totally original idea that came to me. Um, So I, you know, I wasn't, you know, taking some other uh, artist's piece and kind of putting my own spin on it. And it, I, I had really kind of thought about the process uh, all the way through in the past, being, you know, being in, in science, you know, and, and having, you know, a whole life of, of, of science and math and that kind of stuff. And really, you know, the process is the, is the whole thing. You learn the processes, you know, and then you got it down. And because um, it's also cut and dry, there's very, very little subjective. You know, so I, I've always kind of, you know, been attuned to the processing, but th- this piece really, really solidified that whole, you know, my whole idea about it. And it happened, we were on a vacation in Thailand last year, about this very time. We uh, spent three weeks in Thailand, and um, it was just a fabulous trip all through the country. And one part of the trip was up in northern Thailand. 
to a couple art installations that, that that people that that know you know Buddhist art and that kind of stuff probably know these things. And one was the White Temple. That was a fairly recent um, huge art complex that, um, made by this artist there, and it's all it's all you know very religious, very Buddhist centric, and just absolutely beautiful. And and very close to that. There just happened to be another artist that had since passed away that they called his the Black Temple, but it really the the real translation was the Black House, and he had a big sprawling art complex of buildings and in the buildings furniture and and kind of um, landscape art and that kind of stuff, and he was very much into um, black uh, and. He had big teak buildings that he painted black, and he had furniture, big, heavy, thick teak furniture inside of big slabs of wood, you know, and made into furniture, and a lot of animal skulls and horns, and especially water buffalo horns, big black water buffalo horns to use as legs, and arms, and tears, and all that kind of stuff. And um, so on one of a, a huge table that was in one of his big halls, um, there was this big teak slab table. On this big teak t- slab table was this full skin of this boa constrictor. And God, it must have been 20 feet long and with a head on it, you know. And, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was just kind of fit in with all the other animal skulls and bones and that that they had all through, all through the whole place. So here's this big skin, uh, snake skin sitting there. And in the snake's, snake's mouth, are these bots? Are are these Thai bills? And on his on his head, uh, the people have placed coins on his head. You know, of course, pretty big size head. And so there's a bunch of coins there, and a bunch of bill, you know, a bunch of paper bills in his mouth. And I turned to uh, one of the local folks that was there and and asked him, um, "What is this about? You know, what what is the money in the snake's head about?" And I said, "Well." Here, you know, there's a there's a part of the of of the people here that believe in the you know the animalistic snake spirit, and the snake spirit here looks after your money, guards your money, you know, and so they pay homage to it by you know putting money on it and hoping that the snake will repay them and watch you know be make them prosperous and watch after their money. And I thought about that and said, wow, uh, that is very strange. From where I come from, because Judeo-Christian, you know, the snake brings temptation. And money, especially right now, I, I, you know, I feel like the, the power of money is temptation, you know. And I thought, wow, you know, um, that's where the whole thing kind of came to me of, of having the snake and then, you know, having him offer money as temptation uh, and, and kind of do that Garden of Eden kind of you know, idea about it. And then while we we were going to these Buddhist temples, they had these bags of little Thai, I don't know, they're pennies, half pennies, I don't know, you know, what a, a, you know, a minuscule bot was, but they were, you know, about three quarters the size of a penny. They were, you know, brand new mint copper, and you'd get up like a bag of 700 of them to put in the little prayer pots that would surround, you know, these big Buddha laying, you know, uh, laying Buddhas and that kind of stuff, and 
put a put a penny in each pot. So here I had this whole big bag of these pennies, and then and, and immediately I'd been thinking about the idea because I kind of wrote it out on a on a napkin right away because you know I just had this vision and I thought, well, okay, let me get this down on a napkin. So I at least had it written down. I mean, I finally put it in my log book, my my travel yeah. log, and then I got the pennies, and then it all but kind of came together of. I'll scale this the snake and the pennies, you know, as just part of that whole money thing. But the vision, you know, the vision initially was a, a very clear idea that kind of came uh, when I first kind of thought of the snake and the money. And I, and I kind of recognize that, that I'll have these kind of ideas that they'll come from either, a, you know, some some twist of a, uh, of a saying or something like that and how to visually um, put that out there. I have this idea. My next step that I immediately try to do when I have a good idea like that is I get it down on paper. I get my thought and, and uh, you know, I manifest it at least on into a drawing. I mean, because yeah. once it's released on paper, then it allows me to kind of mull over that in, in the, the vision becomes clearer as to what I really want to do. At, at that point, sometimes when I have these ideas, I come to an impasse of not having the materials or the technique to manifest that vision the way I, I originally thought of it and hopefully have some kind of original drawings down about it. Um, and so it, it'll sometimes stick. But if I feel like I've, you know, I have some ideas about where the next process goes because it it goes from that that vision to a to kind of a a little more tangible drawing to a for me it's kind of a dissection of the process of now that I have an idea what I want to make where do I start with this and sometimes I I wait until you know the right piece comes along that really makes the starting happen or you know, I, I just start putting together the process. And for that one, the process started with first the pennies, and then it went to making the stump, which is uh, you know something I just fabricated out of just strips of steel, just one after another, welded. Uh, uh, and they were about a half an inch to three quarters of an inch wide. So it was just one after another around this, 12-inch diameter kind of a cage, but it really ha started happening when, when I just happened to have a chunk of uh, this weird farm uh, old steel sitting on my back patio because a friend of mine had dropped about a ton of stuff on my back patio that fall telling me he wanted me to make something out of it, and I, I had figured out how to use everything except for this one cage that I couldn't use. And then... And then the stump came along, and it was the perfect armature for that. So that simplified the process of, you know, where does it start? And then how do the process of, of kind of forming that so it actually looks like a stump? And then yeah. all the other little pieces. And all those little pieces for me, the first the stump so that, that, that I could have something to hang the snake on, and then figuring out how it's going to hang the stake with an initial just rebar backbone and then building 
you know, a whole skin for the snake that I could, I could, uh, it wasn't soldering. I braised with brass every penny on, on, on that body. And even finding out that I had to have pennies that were made before 1982, because uh, after that pennies were 95% zinc. And when I tried to uh, heat them up, they just vaporized. Um, so I had to get, I had to get 10 pounds of pre-1982 pennies to use. But each part, as I would get to it, I, I, I kind of knew what I was doing with the, with the stump and how to do it, but it took, it, it took forever. I, I think the stump just in, in welding each little strip on, I, it, it, it took 35, 40, 40 hours of just welding. Um, and the snake, the snake took, it took 40 or 50 hours just for the pennies, not counting you know, making the body and, and making all the little stringers for the that I could put all those panties on and all that stuff and then and then the head and stuff. But all those little processes are things that that and in talking to other artists, you know, especially when we when we get onto a when we get onto pursuing a vision, we on we're on that we're on that project, um, that they get worked out as I'm laying in bed at night and when I'm, when I'm half awake in the morning, that's when all these things seem to get worked out in my head and then they go into the shop, you know, and, um, that whole process really was the way that whole snake came together in it. And, and fortunately I was very lucky that, that either I'd worked it out well in my head beforehand or whatever it was, uh, that, that it really turned out to be more than I had even envisioned that it would be, you know, I just, as it was as good as I had ever hoped that it would turn out. Sometimes I have to go back and rework things because things just the first time through, it just doesn't work out right. Uh, you know, there's things that I hadn't thought of. Um, I, I guess that's about the end of the story on the snake. I know. <laughs> Amazing. You talked about the snake as sort of, money as a representation of the snake what are you what's your opinion on some of the benefits and the detriments of a money hungry or a money driven society what's your perception on that oh you know i people you know they take that cliche money is the root of all evil and that's really not that's not the quote it's the love of money is the root of all evil and and you know, I, I understand, you know, the function of money and, and the way that it's allowed, you know, civilization to grow because, you know, it isn't, we're not, a, you know, bartering services and that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I understand the function. It's just that it's that that love and, and, and almost idolizing of money that I see yes. as as that that evil addictive part. I mean, it, it, it is addictive. Um, and, and the people that have more, you know, that have the addiction more and, and, and the people that don't have any or, you know, or have that same, you know, desire to, and, and it's, that's the, that's the bad part of it all. Um, sometimes, you know, it's easy for me to sit back as a, you know, a, a semi-successful doctor, you know, and, and in my 70, 70s now and, and feel fairly secure and, and go, you know, money is not the point. 
because I've got this, you know, (laughs) Um, and, and people that don't, it, it is a struggle. And I, and I do understand that. Um, But there are a lot of people that don't have money that are very happy because they don't, they, they, they don't get involved in the struggle. I, I, I know that, you know, it's easy, like I said, it's easy for me to talk about because I, I've always, I've always been lucky, you know, to be born into a good, you know, a, a good family and, you know, middle-class family and, and, and being able to pursue what I really wanted to do and go into medicine, you know, and come out, you know, without huge debts. And I, I, I still, my, my, my heart, my heart goes out to all the people that are in the struggle and, um, and, 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 and the, to know that if it wasn't such a struggle, they really would have more time to, I don't know, invest in their happiness. In your mind, what is the, what is the difference between financial insecurity and fear of financial insecurity? Ooh, um, boy, I, you know, I think that's pretty, um, I think that's pretty cut and dried. I, you know, uh, financial insecurity is when, you know, you're not eating, um, you don't have shelter. Um, yeah. And, 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 and you are in physical, you're having physical problems because you have lack of access to, you know, any health care. I mean, that's fine, you know, and then the fear of it, that goes far beyond that. The fear of financial insecurity. I have my mother-in-law, um, has lived her life in fear of financial insecurity. And I don't know, I bet her net worth is, Jesus, I don't know what it probably is, but a couple million, I suppose. But she is in more fear of financial insecurity than anyone else I know. And so, yeah, that's the difference that I see. For me, I, it's easy. To, it's easy for me to say because um, because in, in general, um, I, I truly believe this, and that is fear is not real. Fear, fear, fear's only power is the attention we give it, and it's it's not something to give attention to because that's where it gains its power. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you. So many artists that listen to this show and that I know are are hell-bent on making it their vocation, their career. From what I'm hearing from you, you pursued your dream job and have made space for your passion. What, is, what, are, what words do you have um, for keeping a day job and staying creative? First off, you know, Find something that you can make money at that you at least halfway enjoy. Uh, I mean, it may not be your dream job, but that's something that that kind of manifests through our lives as as we really pursue our dreams, and then our dream job will manifest. But um, but in the meantime, you know, we've got to kind of make ends meet. We've got to live in this world, and sometimes it gets tougher. I mean, there are times where it's tougher, and. Um, to do that, we have to at least be creating something that is valuable to other people, and that's I, that's a way I think at least an artist can can look at times where they're where they're they're in their job um, that may not be art, that may not be what they really want to do, but at least 
um, if they're in their job and they're getting paid for it, they're do they're creating something that someone finds valuable, you know, and at least they can take joy in the fact that, you know, they're at least nurturing some creative process in them. And then, you know, on all the other times and we, and, and I, I think in this modern, modern day, most people have a lot of time that, that slips through our fingers that we, that we could better spend. And there are some core things that I always look at when I am worried about, am I wasting my time? Am I using my time to some benefit? And, and, and the core things I look at are, you know, physically, you know, if I'm working out, taking care of my body, that's never wasted time. I don't care what anybody says. That's never wasted. Yes. Um, Mentally, you know, if I'm learning something, if I'm learning something new, that's never wasted time. I don't care what you're learning. That's never wasted. You know, Um, spiritually, you know, if I am, if I'm meditating, that is never wasted time. Um, That is never wasted time. Um, Socially, if if I am doing service, if I am, you know, if I'm giving of myself unselfishly, that is never wasted time. And so if I'm, and for, and for artists, if I am creating something, if, if I feel, you know, and, and even with a snake, I didn't have any buyer for that snake. You know, I, 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 I most of the stuff I, I've made that I haven't since sold, but you know, I never had a buyer for it when I was making it, and I just needed to make it. And when I when I'm out there doing that, not only do I get lost in it, but that's never wasted time for me. And so, when I'm not doing those sort of things, then I got to start looking. <laughs> when I'm sitting when I'm sitting in front of the TV, when I'm playing solitaire on my phone, you know, uh, that was a kind of waste of time. And I probably should be doing something. So there you go. <laughs> I could not agree more. Wow. You're really inspiring, Dr. Jerry Nelson. Do you have time for a few more questions? Oh, absolutely, I do. Thank you so much, Morgan. I love it. I love yeah, you really you. are. Uh, a lot of artists maybe idealize the big cities as the hub of where to make it or where art lives. How has living mm-hmm. in a town of only 8,000 been a positive experience for your expression? Um, well, uh, I, I understand that, that, you know, if you, if an artist has a bigger market, you know, the chance of them selling their art, um, is, is better because the, art is, is one of those things. It's, it's a discretionary buy. So people have, have got to kind of see it, have the funds and, and, really like it. I mean, all those things have to come together. And, and if one of those pieces is a lot more people seeing it, I mean, it really does help that. I guess for me and, and where I'm at, um, I am not a, such a prolific artist that if a bunch more people saw my stuff that I could even keep up with the demand, you know? So yeah, I, I, I think that, that that's one thing is that if you, if someone is 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 putting out art that people see and they like and and, and I think on the internet now and, and there's ways people can can put their things out there without having to move to the city and they can still live where they 
where they really like living, where they gain inspiration for the things they're doing. If they move to the city just for their market and they lose the inspiration of why they're doing their art, they're not going to sell anything anyway. So that's what I think, you know, an artist should kind of kind of kind of take a hard look at is that markets are a little more accessible now with with the way that we can we can put our art on on other platforms and get it out to a lot of people to see but for me i don't even do that much because i just don't make that much and and i i I, there are pieces that i know if i i could sell as many as i make but that turns into piecework for me and and i'm not going to sit in my shop turning out you know 200, you know, uh, 200 bad fish with, you know, with bug eyes and, 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 um, and eyelashes. Cute as all get out. Um, but, um, I mean, cute as all get out, but I, I you know, it, it's kind of piecework after a while. You know, I, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like a new project and maybe I'm just a little, you know, I don't know what, uh, ADHD or something. I, I, I don't like focusing on one thing too, too long, but. <laughs> with artists, with artists, I think every artist and, and starving artist is 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 not is not a you know a, a idle the saying. I mean, it's tough for for artists to make enough money to they, that they can actually just make a living at it. And yeah. um, so that's why I, I think you got to have some backup. You got to have something to backup you enjoy doing um, that you can you can do until. Until there's that time, I think, for artists, and 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 this is also something that that I've experienced myself. I first read about it, and then I really kind of experienced personally. And that is, you know, talent's great, but but practice and perseverance is what ends up making the difference. And very rarely is talent that thing that propels somebody into the money or the fame or whatever else it's it's that daily perseverance it's working the craft it's it's figuring out the problems it's honing those images it's you know for me it was it was um finishing my products moving from you know rusty steel things to to finished you know finished pieces and and three dimensional i mean so it's it's that constant time and effort and even if it's only you know part time for me as a doctor it was only it was only one day a week during the winter months that I did my welding uh because as I had one day a week that I was off and um and I only do this stuff and when it's cold cuz I'll put all that gear on it's too damn hot and sweaty to do it in the summertime so um <laughs> So I only do it. So it just took a while, but I could see that what I could make progressed. You know, um, I, I had images from back when that I, I still have, you know, worked on because I've been able you know, the processes and, and what I can do now is different. But there was a leap, and classically, it's about ten years into somebody's craft that there is a there is starts to be mount, monumental leaps. And what, you know, the what what comes out, what comes out. And I've noticed that for myself. I'm leaping from, you know, fun two-dimensional stuff into now these, you know, full three-dimensional, well well thought out and finished pieces. So 
for for other artists, I would say, even if you're not at that place of selling a lot of stuff yet, or you know, um, you know, you know, the notoriety you want, whatever, um, stay at it because as you hone your visions and and manifest them, people, you know, and then get into the markets where people can see them. They'll get better, and people, you know, what hopefully what you want out of it all will happen. You have the enthusiasm of a twenty-year-old. What are your tips for staying so youthful? <laughs> staying so youthful. <laughs> Remember, life, life, life is about enjoying life. That's yeah. that's it. There's not a lot more when it comes to your purpose. You know, now, first off, you really got, I feel like for, for me, I'm fortunate because I have a real connection with that, that life force inside of me that, I, that I, can, I can pull on and, and feel that joy of being alive. And, but that's where it's got to start. I mean, the joy of having a breath of being alive. And if you have that, that's the enthusiasm we have to carry through our lives. I mean, as long as we're alive, it's available to us. We just got to dump the other stuff and tune into that simple, the joy of that next breath of just being alive, of having the opportunity to do those things that we love to do, the creating. Um, and if we're in places that, that, that are dark and stunt that, you know, reach for the light. You know, go to people that had that sh- that shine the light. You know, find a way to find the light because the light's there and and it wants you as much as you want it. Do you do you do you but, have a formula for pricing your work? Ah, okay, that's a good one. I you know I as soon when I started first selling stuff, that was a question I asked the other people that are around me, the other artists. I get to these juried shows when I was early in our career and. Colorado, and I've asked you folks that were like real sculptors, and how do you price this stuff? And I, I never got a good straight answer. And it finally got down to someone. Someone said, um, "I price it at three times my materials because you know it's hard for me to price time when I get out there in, into the shop making things." Um, I'm not real clear on the process. Sure, I've been dreaming about it, but I have no idea how long it's going to take. And um, and sometimes it's not quite right, and so I got to do part, do something, and go back and redo it. And right. and so it takes a while until I get to that place of this is what I wanted to manifest. And I yeah. feel bad about charging people because I'm not a famous artist, you know. And you know, I, I I don't feel like I can bill people. 50 bucks an hour or something. So I, I, I've kind of stuck with three times my materials. And even uh, on most pro- uh, projects, it comes out for me, my first impression of what I think I want to charge for charge something at the end of it all. And I think I'll figure out my materials. It actually kind of comes out pretty close most of the time. And the, and the snake, the snake absolutely from the very start was always going to be $6,666.66, no matter what. <laughs> you know, you you sound to me like someone who has found it, if not all of it, then a lot of it, in the way that you tap into the inner 
into the inner light and the joy of living and the balance between work life and creativity. And I, I hear the levity in your tone and it's very inspiring. Some of us have to fall down many times before we can get back up and reach that point. For those of us out here in the artistic world who are struggling, are there either any um, examples from your own life through of perseverance that have brought you closer to this state of bliss that you speak of, or are there any words of comfort or advice you can offer to the still struggling artists out there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we all, you know, we struggle through so many things in our lives, you know, and, and there's some struggles that I've been through that I came out the other side and, and they were sentinel struggles, you know, some of those things that, you know, make your personality. And, yes. um, you know, like, like going through an especially bad divorce and, and separated from my children and, and broke and everything and coming out the other side and, 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 and landing in, you know, a wonderful relationship with another, with a wonderful woman and having my kids come back and, you know, be a family again. I mean, just in everything. And, and then, but at the time it was so dark and then to kind of live through it, kind of, Reassuring myself, this is just a moment in time. It, it, it's going to pass. Things are going to pass, and I'm optimistic it's going to get better. And it was a moment in time. And some of those things we get through, and part of it is, God, if I can survive that, I can survive anything. You know, I can get through anything. And, and that's something that we take out of every trial and tribulation that we do. And and the other part, you know, is that um, for me, I, I was fortunate. Um, golly, uh, back about the time that I kind of cha- changed from anesthesia into family practice, there was a it was a very big transition time in my life, and um, and I was fortunate to to find a meditation that worked that really really opened that door to my heart. Um, so that I could access that when I needed it. And God, you know what? It's always fun to access that door to your heart when things are going good. But, you know, we always really need it the most when things are really black. And and we have to find that, have to find that. Everybody's got to find that door. And if they don't, they'll be lost. I mean, we, we feel lost. We, we're, we, we, we look for the thing that's, going to fill that hole in us it's just that door in our door to our heart that we need to find and and for me it was meditation and and i i really believe that that was the anchor that i found um to get me through the other parts the other part of it was like i said the dark parts we have to be optimistic to know that it's just a, a space and time and we come through the other side sure I make fun of that, that I always make fun of cliches. And one of the cliches I love to make fun of is um, whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger. You know what? I was in medicine and anesthesia enough to know that whatever doesn't kill you is just going to hurt for a long time afterwards. Whether it makes you stronger yeah. or not, who knows? You know, you're never yeah. quite sure about that. Um, so, but still, I, but really... The things that we get to that are the worst, we do come out stronger. And we do know that we can survive what we thought was the worst. 
And if we believe in ourselves and that, that, that thing inside of us, it will be better. So there you go. You said you found this meditation that there was a door to your heart. Can you describe just a little bit more? Because listeners of the show are, are familiar and have been guided through meditation through listening. Can you describe a little more about your particular practice and why it's so meaningful to you? Um, yes. Uh, and, and, you know, this is very personal for me. And, uh, and, I, and I, I love telling people about it. And some people, you know, kind of go, ooh, I'm not sure. But back in, uh, golly, that was, uh, I was lucky enough to um, hear about Guru Maharaji um, back in the early 80s, late 70s, uh, in Colorado. And it was big in Colorado then, and, and came to the, the meditation I called, it came to what we called to knowledge. And knowledge was, we were shown these four techniques of meditation. And those techniques of meditation from that time and until today, when I spend the time, when I spend the focus, and whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes or, Jesus, there was, a, there was times in my life where I'd, and I'd meditate an hour a day at least. And it's always this, that same thing. And, and this, is where we, this is where I get back to those core, those core values, uh, those core things of what we do. Um, no matter what it is, you know, mental, physical, you know, spiritual, social, whatever we do, when we spend more time doing those things, we get more out of it. Our body gets stronger. We get stronger faster. I mean, when I study hard, my, my memory gets better. I, I, I hold on to things better. I crave to learn more. Uh, the same with meditation. The more I do it, not only does it always take me back to that same original experience that I had from the start that I have every time, and so that's why I know it's that's why I know it's true and it's real because it never changes. It's always the same, and it's always that same bliss and and feeling of energy and lightness. And when the the more I do it. The more I feel it, every all through all through the moments of my day, the, the more I get distracted by the craziness of this world, uh, and the less I meditate, the less I feel that through the day. But it still is so real for me that it's still something I spend moments for at least every day, and especially during these tumultuous times to to check into what's real and to be thankful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today on MakerCast. I really appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure. This episode of MakerCast was recorded and produced right here in beautiful Bend, Oregon. Music for this episode can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to support the ongoing creation of this podcast, tell a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash MakerCast. I'll put a photo of this statue with Jerry standing next to it up on Patreon for those of you who want a visual to accompany this episode. Thanks again for listening. 
and I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>